What is it that you're here to do? Whether you believe your purpose is defined by you or something bigger than you, it can be a powerful driving force that propels you to be your best self. In this episode, I speak to purpose activator and author Dr. Holly Woods about the importance of purpose in our lives and how each of us has our own unique contribution to this world. There's more than just material wealth and, you know, money and success and the outer trappings of this world I live in. There's something inside of me that's wanting to be birthed and wanting to express itself so I can make my own innate, unique contribution on the planet at this time. And so we have to listen to those calls because they're really important. Holly is the author of the book, The Golden Thread, Finding Purpose in the Stages of Your Life. She has 30 years of experience in human and organizational development and two decades of experience building and scaling business and products to help entrepreneurs, visionaries, and innovators create impact. She helps clients uncover their nuanced purpose, gain the capacities and mindset to attain their unreasonable goals, and align decisions, products, and systems around what matters most. So, ready to learn more about how being your authentic self and driving towards your purpose can help you be your best? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. So Holly Woods, thank you for joining me today. I'm so delighted to be here, Rebecca. Thank you so much. You bet. So one of the things that you talk about and you've written a book about is the importance of purpose. And so I would love to kind of start our conversation with how you centered your interest on purpose and how you find that meaningful in our lives. Well, it's a fascinating experience to have a purpose to help others find their purpose. So, you know, I didn't actually end up centering my interest as much as following my own thread of purpose in this lifetime. And it was a, my thread was a long circuitous journey (laughs) to find it because nobody had come before me and told me how this happens. So I came in with a knowing that I had important things to do, but I had no idea what that meant. And so it set me on this very long quest to uncover what that important thing was. And You know, after a number of decades, more than several now, I learned that my quest really was to understand purpose deeply enough to help others find their own meaning in life, their own purpose in life. And that is why I'm here to support others. So my understanding of purpose is that it's not an interest or a passion or a curiosity or a hobby or a job or career. It's that which lives inside of us and which we're called back to a lifetime to fulfill. So it is something that is innate to our beingness and is present in every phase of our life. And that's, you know, kind of what my book is about. And that we follow this nudging or pulling or purposeful expressions of our soul over our lifetime, not knowing that's what we're doing. But we're always being pulled forward by those nudges and in that we express purpose more or less. And the the intent of my work is really to help people get clarity about what their purpose is so they can express it more fully with greater articulation and greater embodiment so that their contribution of purpose, and purpose is always a contribution or a service to the world, into ourselves, so they can be more of that and make a greater contribution. I, I think part of what I see in the world right now is that so few of us are actually living these truly purposeful lives. Most of us are not making our contribution, you know, why we came. And that's why we see so much lack or so many gaps in our world right now that there are so many things that aren't happening in an optimal way that if more of us were living these intentional purposeful lives and really bringing our fullest self to the planet, it would be a very different experience. So that's sort of my nutshell. (laughs) Not so nutshell. (laughs) Yeah. So I think one of the things I really loved about that 
is thinking about purpose in a way that it is our contribution to the world. So a lot of folks define their contribution based on things that they're asked to do or things they do for their job or organization or for other people and often don't think about what their intrinsic motivation, what is their desire to achieve or to explore, maybe deprioritize that in lieu of these other tasks or priorities that other people might give them. So how might somebody challenge themselves to really explore their purpose beyond those things that maybe other influences are pushing them towards? Well, you know, when I begin working with someone as a client, what I always do is have them tell me their story, you know, from front to back. (laughs) Like, let's start as early as you can remember and tell me the story. Because we, we each have these stories about ourselves that are, you know, seemingly coherent because we've reconstructed how it really happens, right? So I help them pull apart and tease apart the elements of their story in order to get beneath what they've been telling themselves about themselves. And always underneath those stories is, you know, the rich clues that help us understand what we really love about life. And when we talk about purpose, to some extent, that's what we're talking about is, you know, God, what do I really love about life? And I often call it the thing you can't not do. So we really are always doing that thing, the purposeful thing. And I use purpose kind of as a shorthand for talking about that which we truly are, you know, our most authentic selves. And that shows up early in our life. And so people say, oh, I can't remember my childhood. That was so long ago when I was a kid, remember? (laughs) But always when you start dissecting that early story, you can uncover the curiosities and the interests and the passions and the things that you couldn't help but want to explore. And it may have looked like games or books you read or things you did with your childhood friends, or things you did with a sibling, or things you begged your parents for. And also in those early stories are the ways that that was shut down. So as important in our storying of our life is also the ways that we are restricted or constrained from being ourselves, from becoming who we're meant to be. And that tension of, you know, the early childhood experiences slash wounding that we experience is truly what propels our soul to say, all right, well, I'm going to make it so hard for you that you can't not be that. (laughs) So it's this strange mix of I get to express it and then I'm kept from, you know, and then I'm prohibited from expressing it. So it's this dance in life that I guide people through in finding, you know, the thing you couldn't not want to know more about and what kept you from knowing more about it. There's always this tension. So we're looking for those kinds of things in life. And, you know, they're your greatest joys, your deepest desires, your, you know, wild abandon is something that I try to guide people to. What are you so wildly crazy about that you can't not do it? And then what kept you from doing that? It's a, it's a both and. Absolutely. And I think there's so many folks that do resist that desire to follow that thing that they feel drawn to. And a lot of it's just because of the perceptions we might have over things like success and dedication and hard work and not really thinking about You know, those things that when we were a kid, like I can think about some of the things that energized me when I was a child, the things that caused me to explore. We had a forest behind our home uh, growing up and my sister and I would go explore for hours in the forest. And that experience, it wasn't even just about being in nature, it was also around imaginative play and how important that was, I think, in my development. And a lot of times we deprioritize that and think about, you know, fun is separate from work. But I I wonder how much value we would really get in our work if we really think about how we align our work to our passion or what really gives us energy. Yeah. And if I can pick up on that, Rebecca, I mean, it's obvious in your own expression here that that deep exploration is a significant facet of your purpose. You know, I don't I don't know what your purpose statement might be if you even know it. But there's something in that that is a part of your thread that probably has wound its way through every element of your life and is, you know, has guided you here right now in exploring this topic. So your one one element of your fundamental nature is about exploring and the context of your life and childhood was that you had this huge backyard of a forest. 
to do that deep exploration. You know, when we look back at the stories of our lives, it's not necessarily the thing, the forest, or, you know, the thing that we're curious about. It's how we go about it and how we uncover that which is us. And, you know, for some people, it may be something in nature, but not everybody's. So much of the world now is calling purpose. You know, I'm contributing to solving the you know, sustainable developmental goals of the UN. And those are wonderful, great things that we should be focused on as humanity. And thank God we finally arrived here that more and more people are concerned about what we're doing to our planet and to each other, right? But the fundamental purpose inside us is not that thing. You know, I'm focusing on the climate or I'm focusing on racism, my purpose. Well, I'm glad that you're focusing on that important topic at this time in our survival as a species, but the purpose is more fundamental to you. It's your unique, one-of-a-kind expression that nobody else on the planet is here to bring. And so getting back to your question about, you know, how do we get past the hard work and the tasks that are required for success, and that we deprioritize our own native instinct and purpose for those things is that we've been focused as humanity and a culture on, you know, making money and being productive and having material items and wealth as priority. And that's primarily because we've been stuck to some extent in a consciousness level that prioritizes those things. And that is shifting. Our human species is evolving. And this, we, we talked earlier, this pandemic has allowed us to become a new species in a very short period of time. And I can explain how I see that happen. But that is allowing us to say, oh, wait, there's more than just material wealth and, you know, money and success and the outer trappings of this world I live in. There's something inside of me that's wanting to be birthed and wanting to express itself so I can make my own innate, unique contribution on the planet at this time. And so we have to listen to those calls because they're really important. Yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of where I see that we are going as humanity. Yeah. And that was an am amazingly vivid and beautiful nutshell that you provided. <laughs> that was amazing. And I've got to say, you really hit the nail on the head when, you, when we were talking about like the exploration piece. It's something that it was just my aha moment just now as you talk through that. I never really thought of it that way. I'm definitely an explorer. I love to find out more and learn things and explore things. That is true to my nature and one reason why I do the podcast or how it brought me to this place. And so you were exactly right on that. But the other thing, you know, that we started talking about, too, is this whole evolution piece. So we start to evolve over our lifetime as individuals. But of course, now we're talking about a much larger evolution as a species on this earth, as a society, which is tremendously exciting. I think for some folks, tremendously unnerving, but thinking forward where this might bring us. But we're talking about, you know, of course, being here on the podcast, trying to talk about how do we shape a better future. I think that evolution becomes kind of a fundamental piece of what we as humans will look like 10 years from now, 50 years from now, or, or what have you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I and I'm so grateful for you hosting these conversations. They're so important for all of us to really get outside of ourselves and see that there there is actually a way that we can create a better future on this planet if we take the right actions and become the right beings to be available to that. Um, to talk about evolution of society, I actually want to just step back a minute and do a very quick overview of how we evolve as humans, as, you know, as individual beings. And I study Terry O'Fallon's work, Stages of Consciousness, and my book is based on that framework, A Purpose Across the Stages of Consciousness, you know, across the stages of our life. And very briefly, we start in the concrete tier where we grow from the womb to child, you know, to infancy. And that is our first individuation or evolution from being connected to a mother to an individual being. And then we go from infancy to childhood, which is the second level of evolution, and then to later childhood at, to adolescence. 
And then by that stage, often if we're healthy, we've done all the developmental tasks. That first tier, we move into the subtle tier, which is where we become, you know, late stage adolescence, early adulthood, and we begin to experience our internal world because we have access to these subtle experiences of thinking and feeling, and we can sense who we are in a new way. It helps us plan our lives. It helps us learn things about ourselves and the planet. It helps us learn methodologies and professions, and we go to college and we learn all that knowledge. And then we begin moving into later and later stages in the subtle tier where we expand our awareness of those interior and exterior subtle experiences. And then late subtle tier, we begin to experience that others on the planet also have thoughts and feelings. And oh, lo and behold, others are as important as I am. And we start looking at social justice and activism and imagining that oh, I actually need to care about other people in a broader way and the planet in a broader way, and I might actually start taking action. And that is where purpose literally comes alive in us. We start to experience internally that I want to be my true self, my authentic self, and have a greater awareness about what I can contribute to this larger milieu, not just my life or my family or my community, which is what happens in the concrete tier. We contribute because we're told we should. You know, we grow up with these social normative values that say you should contribute to your family. You should be a good parent. You should be a good family member and community member. And in the late subtle tier, we're like, oh, I should because I'm part of this larger thing called humanity and and the planet and, you know, and all the beings here. And I care about all of that because I can feel them and sense it and have an awareness of it that I didn't have in the concrete tier. And what has just happened? So here we are to the evolution of society. We've been struggling for, you know, centuries, stuck in the late concrete and early subtle tiers, not able to really make much progress in saving the planet and each other because most of us couldn't actually experience each other. We literally did not have the capacity or the perspective taking to see what goes on for other people and for the planet itself. So it's not that we didn't necessarily want to. We were told we should. (laughs) I should be an environmentalist. I should care about people who are different from me. But I just don't feel it. So I don't have the impulse to take those actions or be that person. So as we evolve, that becomes more innate to my own desires and motivations. So during the pandemic, what I watched as sort of an evolutionary anthropologist, which I now know I am, I didn't actually know I was until now, that um, I watched humanity evolve from early stage subtle to late late stage subtle because we were stuck at home by ourselves in isolation. It was painful or with our family, which might have been even more painful. And we had to do this deep inner digging about who am I and why am I having this experience and what am I going to do to get the hell out of it or to manage it or to endure it. And we, you know, and everybody and their dog kept offering us all these resources all over the globe. Like how many free courses do we have access to during this four month period? It's crazy. And we began to do this deep internal awareness inquiry that allowed us to expand our perspective because we're now connected globally by the internet and by everybody's smartphone. And we began to see each other in a new way. And lo and behold, we became more of us, you know, a tipping point worth came into the late subtle tier. And from here, we can say, oh, this is what everybody's been talking about. I actually need to worry about the planet. I actually need to worry about people who have a different color skin. I need to worry about people who don't have as much, you know, wealth or even, you know, survival coping mechanisms as I do. And what am I going to do about it? And so this meaning has arisen organically because we have moved into a place in society where enough of us anyway, I'm not suggesting that the whole planet moved, I'm suggesting that we as humanity 
mostly evolved. There's some who never, you know, didn't evolve because their wounding was so deep. But it's like you, everybody took a walked up a rung on the ladder, and we became more advanced in our perspective taking, which is really what I'm talking about when I talk about consciousness. And we're more able to see each other, and therefore we are more available to help actually solve some of these problems that we've been dealing with. Yeah, and I think a lot of us really do feel that tipping point where they feel like there's more people that are less resistant to those messages they may have been resistant to in the past and starting to feel more of a connection to other folks around the world even to some extent, but also to these other causes that really lead to, you know, not to be too Pollyannish, but a better world, a world where the earth is maybe healing to some extent, where people relate to each other a little bit better than they had. We address things like our consumerism and the impact of that consumerism more directly. And then also just answer more fundamental questions around what's really important in life. Yes. And so, you know, in this shift to the later subtle stages, we do begin to have access. And I, I, I can't say that, you know, too terribly many people actually moved into the latest subtle stage there are more people there who are able then to create solutions that take into account all of the many facets of a problem. And uh, listeners may have heard of the term VUCA, which was coined in the military and then has been moved into business structures, conversations. And it's, you know, the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous nature of what we experience now in humanity and though the problems that we experience are so complex and feel so overwhelming to most of us that it requires a perspective taking that isn't available in earlier you know stages of consciousness so as more of us begin to grasp the complexity of all of this we begin to offer ourselves because i want to make a difference i want to contribute my gift we begin to offer ourselves to these kinds of solutions as opposed to, you know, solutions that really never had a chance of making and having an impact. Um, much of what has come down from, you know, governmental sectors or nonprofits or, you know, business has been very early stage solutioning and really was never aimed at the root cause of, of what's going on. And now that we understand you know, as humanity, we are, we are all important and we do all need to be considered in how we move forward. There will be other solutions. Another element of this is that fundamentally we are challenged as humans and society, global society, because most of our infrastructures were created decades ago, you know, or some of them centuries ago. And, you know, our, econ our economic systems and our educational systems and our governmental systems and many of our business systems still, and, you know, that's certainly not all the sectors, are, um, are, were created when primarily we were living in these early concrete material world tier. And that's really all we could see is we fashioned systems out of bricks that would get us better material world. And as we've shifted in humanity over time, which we have been doing for quite a while, um, you know, a few of our infrastructures shifted with us. Educational sector has, has done great work in higher ed and healthcare has attempted to, and business innovation has attempted to shift along with us. But many of our sectors are still stuck in early stage consciousness. They're still aimed at material world outcomes. And until we can shift, shift or deconstruct and recreate our infrastructures to accompany our shift in individual and group level consciousness, we're going to be challenged to solve some of these global problems because we don't, they don't provide the resources we need to solve the solutions that are conceptually available at, you know, higher at advanced stages of consciousness. Yeah, that's fascinating to think about. It's just the organizations that exist 
today. Some of them, I think, being more vocal or maybe more visible in how they're trying to shift their presence, their operations in a way that demonstrates some level of learning and understanding that this larger shift is happening out in the world that they must you know, adjust to, to meet. Do you think that a lot of organizations today will meet that challenge, adjusting from, I suppose, maybe the goals that they might have had in the past in relation to tangible outcomes versus trying to think about you know, solving the world's biggest problems that we face as a society? You know, that's a, that's a fascinating question. I'm, I'm, the, I'm not the world's best expert to answer that question. Um, <laughs> I don't think any of us are. I can certainly offer a perspective, but I guess my own belief about it is several things. One of them is, you know, this Black Lives Matter movement, which started long time ago. Actually, I attended one of the first Black Lives Matter rallies in D.C. a number of years ago because my daughter happened to be attending college at American University at the time. And she drug me there, like, why are we going? <laughs> She's like, Mom, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, okay, you're right, we should go. And um, I was fascinated that, oh, my gosh, this thing has sprung up, you know, intentionally, and how incredibly powerful this can be, and, and the time it took for it to manifest at its greatest, you know, not even greatest capacity yet, but what a gift to humanity that movement started when it did and had the power to enact itself at the right time in the right moment to do the right thing. Like, wow, (laughs) that was synchronistic. And so I'm curious about this experiment as every organization on the planet now has to react and respond and say, oh, you're right. We actually need to do some diversity, equity, and inclusion work in our company, in our NGO, in our healthcare system, in our educational system. And, you know, you'd been telling us that for decades, but we didn't really take it seriously. And now we actually do have to take it seriously. So I think this is going to be a great experiment for us to see how adaptable, just how adaptable are our infrastructures to respond to these shifts in humanity, in in the evolution of humanity? Can we actually do it in a way that makes a difference and isn't just another pretend solution? You know, that diversity, equity, inclusion training for so long in our country has been, you know, check the box. We did that training. HR is now completely compliant with federal laws and we're good. While, you know, everything was running amok in the company. And people were still very marginalized and racism still existed to a great extent. So now we get to see, so what really happens? And if we can do this, then I am actually hopeful that we can do some other things. I think my primary question is how long is it going to take? What's the lever? What's going to have to happen for us to shift our economic systems? Because quite honestly, that's the underlying foundation for every dysfunction in our world, right? That, you know, this, our world is built on an economic system that was designed to create security for the privileged. There is nothing about our existing economic system that currently creates opportunity for those who have nothing. I mean, there's nothing, you know, we have NGOs, we have, and I'm probably now entering an arena that you may not want to go into. So we can, we can, you know, tread this lightly. But there are so many elements of our infrastructure that are going to, that may require, I don't know, I kind of predict, it's going to take another, you know, slightly catastrophic incident to get in the crowbar underneath some elements of our infrastructures and say, nope, this doesn't work either. Let's toss that out. Now what? So we had to totally deconstruct, you know, during the pandemic, we came apart as our glue melted and everything opened up and like, God, now what? And then when the George Floyd incident happened, you know, it was like the siren song around the world that allowed something to move in and replace the glue. It said, no, we will no longer allow violence to others to exist. We must take care of each other because we are one humanity. We are all important and we all matter. And, you know, black lives who've not been respected and cared for in the U.S. especially, but other parts of the globe as well, 
must be elevated in order to bring some equity into the system. And so I imagine that something similar is going to have to happen in order to, you know, that crowbar that whatever it will take to get out the economics and other inequities that exist in our world, you know, and who knows what that looks like. I don't want to predict. I'm not going to use my psychic capacity here. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think that was that was great insight, isn't it? Because none of us, of course, is able to actually predict the future. But I'll, I'll use foresight and make some potential projections because that's really what it's about is what, what trajectory do we see ourselves on? And even more importantly, what future would we like to see for ourselves and how do we get there? How do we build that future? How do we take action to make that happen? Because that's the thing I think a lot of folks sometimes maybe don't have the time or energy to focus on or don't really think about their empowerment and actually doing something to shape a better future. But that's really what it comes down to is us getting involved and shaping that a future that that we envision for ourselves and potentially for society. You know, and that is, I mean, back to purpose, this is the most fundamental sort of organic, innate, simplest way to figure out how each of us can make a contribution. I mean, it, you know, the, the needs on the planet are overwhelming. If you, if you just sat back and read the newspaper or listened to CNN or whatever, you know, New York Times, um, like, oh my God, where do you start? And I, I don't actually read much news or watch things anymore because it is overwhelming and the media doesn't do a great job at creating synthesis or not shelling it for us. They just dramatize everything. But if I stay in myself and say, what is it that I'm here to do? That is the thing that is the grounding cord for us. And I often call it the GPS, whatever metaphor you want to use. It's my way of staying grounded in certainty that I have an important task right now, right here to accomplish on this planet that will make a difference. This is what I came back for. And if I focus on that, as opposed to the, you know, sort of overwhelming contextual dilemmas out in the world, I get lost, I lose myself. And like, where do I go now? What, you know, do I head this direction, climate change? Do I head this direction, racism? Do I head this this way, economic disempowerment? Or do I stay right here in myself and say, these are the contributions that I am here to make. And I focus on that and I do it as best I can in as amplified a version as I can And that is why my purpose to help others live into their own purpose feels to me like my greatest gift, because the more people I can help to activate and gain clarity about what their contribution is, the more of our (laughs) more of our golden threads will fit in that tapestry and it starts to become whole again, because we're we're all missing right now. You know, so many of us actually are not living full potentiated lives and making our greatest contribution. So from my sense, while I would love to be able to predict the future or see what's going to happen in the future and know how to make these grand shifts, what I really know is that all I can do is right here, right now, and create the most effective scenario for me to make my contribution. So what, is the, what are the optimal conditions that I can function fully in the world? Actually, a friend and I recently came to the awareness that we each were considering that my best solution right now is to create pockets of possibility where I am right now. What what can I do that will create some possibility for change to happen in my own context, in my own sphere of influence, where I can have the best impact that I can? And over time, that could turn into something monumental and huge, or it can you know, it can affect the people right here in my, my little world. And can we really ask for more than that to do our, our best, you know, in each given day, can we, can we just ask to be our best? Yeah. I think that's so important to to every individual has an impact in this world, whether it be large or small. Um, I think that everyone understanding the, their own value is a huge part of that. So bringing, bringing their purpose, bringing their meeting, bringing the things that are important to them to this world is critically important, regardless of whether your impact is massive and well-known or less known, or even just, you know, like you mentioned, the people that immediately surround us. So I think that's really interesting. We think about how that can help us shape 
a better future as individuals and, and of course, uh, collectively bringing different perspectives together. What a beautiful thought. You know, and I guess I also know that <laughs> my experience in, you know, my own life and in my children, actually, you know, I, I came upon this work I do so organically, natively, I didn't invent it or, you know, create it. I, it was created through me because I lived the life I did. And I've had 24 careers, which most people like, what? <laughs> so all of the all of that was me trying to learn enough to get past, you know, the challenge I was experiencing in the time. And I've come to see in retrospect, obviously, hindsight's 2020, that all of those experiences were both to heal whatever wounding and shadow and challenge I was experiencing the time and also to gain the capacities I would need to do the work I do now with people in so many sectors from so many fields and life experiences. But my own life, which demonstrated to me this golden thread, and then my children, I raised four children, two of them my own, I watched and helped shape and facilitate all those golden threads. And so by the time I started working with clients, like, oh, this is what I've been learning for a lifetime about how to facilitate and call and shape the grandest version of you, you know, so you can be your best self. And in that, you are going to make your greatest contribution. And when that happens at a fundamental level, I become the greatest version of me that's here on the planet right now. We have an inspired vision for ourselves and our life and what we can create. If you were in a tug of war with the universe, you would win. But it's what I see in my own life and in all of my clients that when they really come into that coherence with themselves, that life happens so miraculously because the energy is available to do exactly what you are here to do. And so our greatest contribution comes when we are most ourselves, which is so ironic, right? Because we spend lifetimes trying to be something greater than or more than or, you know, what somebody else wanted me to be, when in fact, I am most effective and make the greatest contribution and have impact and also find abundance and joy <laughs> and inspiration when I live that self. So it's literally self-defeating. We lose ourselves and we're not able to make our greatest contribution when we are something other than what we truly are. It's a great irony I experience in life. <laughs> Yeah, I can say that I've experienced that irony myself. And so even just talking through that, thinking about different times in my life that I um, resisted who I am or or tried to change who I am to fit some type of mold or, you know, some type of environment because I felt that was expected of me. But um, I actually went through, and I'll just share this with you real quick. I went through uh, my own personal transformation journey. Now it's been almost a couple of years ago. I decided to have my own personal experience around radical authenticity. And I decided I was going to show up wherever I was being exactly who I was. And luckily, I'm not a mean person, you know, or any offensive person anyway, but I am a little quirky. I'm a little quirky. I'm a little um, weird, I suppose. Uh, but I just get really excited about things that I like to, I guess, explore as I found out earlier today in this episode. Uh, but what was interesting journey that I took, because I found through that the value of that full authenticity, showing up exactly who I am and not as people expected me to be. I could sleep at night, going home, feeling comfortable being exactly who I was and knowing that it was fine. It was good. And to be honest, it was not always accepted or not always, you know, people don't always receive that well for different reasons. And it wasn't anything, again, that was offensive. It was rather, um, I think, unexpected or unfamiliar. And I think the more that we are able to show our diverse selves in our work, in the world and so forth, the more we will all kind of accept the different types of personalities and different, as you said, the value that we each bring based on our own personal kind of strengths and our own personal characteristics, I suppose. So that was such great learning for me. <laughs> great learning. I'm, and I'm so glad you did that, Rebecca. I mean, can you imagine how significantly lesser the world would be without you here doing what you're doing. I mean, you're, you know, this, this podcast, your work in the world 
is making a great contribution. So thank you for doing that work. Oh, well, thank you for that. Cause you just, um, you just made my day. <laughs> you just made my day. <laughs> I mean, literally it's, and it's like each of us has that. And I, I guess I was going to say that, you know, how liberated, how free and how joyous we all could be if we showed up like you suggested as ourselves everywhere we went. And, you know, I, I had to do that, you know, over decades. I, that's been my journey is to become more and more of me. And, you know, I'm here this ri- ridiculously excited, always enthusiastic. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I call myself ridiculous and I don't care anymore. I don't care how ridiculous I am. And you don't have to listen to me. You don't have to believe what I believe or agree with what I, you know, my, my knowings. Um, but I'm still going to be me. And, and where I can make a contribution, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to follow that breadcrumb to where it is that is ready for my, my way of being in the world, my ridiculousness. And another element of that is that once we find that, that innate version of us, that you know, most alive, most full of wonder and joy and inspired version of us, then there will be another version of us that emerges over time. So what what many people I, you know, I work with, like they get on purpose, they move into that expression, things are going great, you know, it's all humming along and synchronicities happening. And then in a few years, like they hit another roadblock, like what happened, Holly? It was all going great. It's like, oh, well, you just evolved again. And now you're ready for your next expression. So as we are available to the energy of us, we are going to naturally evolve to another expression. So, you know, you may remember at some time in your life, you know, maybe late adolescence or early adulthood where things felt really good and you were enjoying life and making contributions and it was all good. And then boom, you hit this roadblock. It's like, what happened? (laughs) Like, did I just get old or (laughs) Saturn return? (laughs) Like, what was it? And, you know, maybe it's those things too. But often it's also about I'm moving to a new stage of awareness, consciousness, perspective taking that says, oh, there's more here and I want more. And if I stay where I am in my current job or role, in my current work life, in my current relationships, in the tight container of my social network, I'm not actually going to grow. So you start bumping up against the sides of those containers and saying, eh, this doesn't fit anymore. It's like a, you know, a dress that's too tight or a necktie that's like, you know, choking me and I want out. And literally you do have to break out. You kind of have to break the chains to being, you know, tied or constrained to that version of you, that identity of you in that space and say, well, what's next? And so you begin exploring what's next a little step at a time. I often tell my clients, don't quit your day job (laughs) until you've, you know, figured out the next thing. Because the point (laughs) is not to totally destabilize your life and go take a walk in the desert and give everything up. It's like, well, let's explore what is your the next version of you in a graceful, easeful way that lets you slip into that new identity without, you know, destroying your livelihood. Yeah, just more of a, um, a, a gradual transformation rather than a complete overhaul. And I think a lot of yeah. folks think about it as like a complete disruption, a complete overhaul that probably holds them back from making those changes in their lives. Yes, yeah. There's a lot of fear for most people who think, oh, purpose means I have to give up everything in my life and go live this monkish or, you know, devoted life. And I can't have you know, any wealth and I can't have the same friends and I can't have, and, you know, so there's a lot of sense of denial that's going to have to happen. And um, I, in fact, I'd say that your life becomes even more rich and more abundant and more joyful. And you make, you know, new connections and new relationships. And, you know, sometimes that's in addition to what you have. Sometimes it, you know, eventually over time replaces what you have. Um, but there's a new version of you that wants something even better than what you currently have now. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. What makes you optimistic about the future? <laughs> well, you can tell I'm, I'm, I'm mostly an eternal optimist anyway. And 
you know, that hasn't always been the case. I spent three decades fighting depression and suicidal ideation. So I had my own very long, dark road. And I wanted to leave the planet because it was so hard. And as I overcame, you know, the challenges that I invited in in this lifetime and stopped being a victim victim to my circumstances. And, you know, I'm not going to bash victimhood. Um, We each have our own journeys. And quite honestly, victimhood has a place in time because we have to have those experiences in order to move to the next one. You know, it's light and dark. Yes and no, good and bad. It is, life is like that. So I had to have those experiences in order to find myself. Um, And because I have done that so fully, so completely with such transparency that I know that's possible for all of us. You know, this, this work is not light work. This is intense work. It does require a lot of digging and a lot of, um, you know, it requires a commitment, I guess to being fully ourselves. And so I'm, I am optimistic because as I watched, as I said earlier, during the pandemic, that humanity just evolved. <laughs> you know, we just reached the tipping point to a new stage, which is just almost miraculous that this happened in our lifetime. I believe, I am watching that more and more and more of us are coming to grips that we want something different. We want a life of meaning. We want a life of service. We want a life where we see that others matter to me. We want to make a contribution to save this beautiful green planet we live on. We are so blessed to live on this planet. I mean, what a gift. If that were the only gift we have, in this lifetime. I mean, that in itself is just so amazing that we live on this bountiful planet. And I see that also that more and more people are moving into even later stages and ready and willing to commit their lives to solving these entrenched, intractable problems, these insidious issues that we've been sweeping under the carpet for so many centuries. And when I see that, I get so excited. I mean, I just want to, you know, want to jump for joy. And I'm so inspired um, by so many different sectors and age ranges and people all over the globe saying, yeah, count me in. You know, I'm a handshake on making this a different place for all of us to live. And we've got just this beautiful collective of people now who are saying, I'm going to help carry this load. I'm now here. I showed up. I clocked in. I am ready for the work. And even more than the collective, I also see the younger generations. I have two young adult daughters. And somehow, <laughs> you can imagine, they, anyway, they both turned out to be pretty radical activists. They're doing amazing work in the world. And they and their generation, they're in their early 20s, they and their generation are taking this on. They're they're like, you know, you handed us crap. <laughs> We're going to turn it into something different as best we can. I'm experiencing they're not quite as hopeful as I am. You know, there's a lot of disillusionment among the Gen Yers and the Gen Zers. They're nervous about their future. They don't know that the, the planet's going to be here for, you know, more than 10 years, or if it is, it's going to be in, you know, it's going to be in fire, fire and brimstone. And they've said, you know what, so what, (laughs) what the hell, why don't I show up and make a difference? So they are literally turning themselves in to, you know, they've clocked in, they've signed up, they've enlisted and said, count me, count me in, I'm going to do this, because it matters to all of us. Um, Now, that is not the writ large generations, but more of that generation than even, you know, the boomer generation in the 60s and 70s showed up. It's a much broader swath of humanity who's now turned on, lit up, on fire, enlisted, and ready to go. We just, you know, they need some instructions. They need an instruction manual, and it doesn't exist. So we're kind of all making this up as we go, and that's why I feel purpose is such an fundamental part of 
what needs to be in that instruction manual because if we don't each know what our own contribution is in this fight to save ourselves and the planet, um, we're going to be grasping for straws. We're going to be looking around. Well, you know, where should I go? What should I focus on? How do I get involved? And purpose actually tells us how to do that. Yeah. And I love that because that can lead us to a call to action for the listeners today. So usually I would ask most guests what they're concerned about for the future. But what I really loved about the way you answered your question is I think you kind of weaved some of that in, but I don't even want to detract from the direction you just went. So I'm going to ask my listeners now, what are the things that concern you about the future? Where can you dive into your purpose to make a difference in those areas and go do that and start today? Beautiful. I totally agree. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. You bet. And so her book is The Golden Thread, Finding Purpose in the Stages of Your Life. And so Dr. Hollywoods, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me. Mm, Rebecca, it's been delicious and delightful for me. Thank you so much for hosting this conversation. You're welcome. has a gift of helping people see their true selves and live their purpose. In fact, she was able to see something in me that I didn't fully recognize until this conversation. I am an explorer. This categorization makes sense in so many ways in my life and helps me think more deeply about what drives me to action. My purpose is to provide the information, tools, and encouragement to others to take action and shape the future that they envision for themselves for their organizations, or for the world. My approach includes the exploration of ideas, perspectives, knowledge, and connection that help me reach that purpose. As an explorer, I sure hope I'm on the right path. But if not, I will chart my course and change direction where needed so I can one day reach my destination. Your purpose may be much like a beacon, a light in the distance that you are intrinsically compelled to reach. Can you see the beacon in the distance? What is that beacon? And what is your path to get there? Or, quite simply, what is the first step you can take toward that beacon? Take that first step that aligns to your purpose. And I hope your beacon can serve as a powerful guide as you make your own unique mark in this world. And, while you're at it, go on. Go help shape the future. To learn more about Dr. Holly Woods and her work, email her at holly at hollywoodscoaching.com. That's holly at hollywoodscoaching.com. Remember to follow at Humans Now and Then on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for additional content, announcements, and information to help you shape the future. Also, visit vividspring.com to learn more about upcoming workshops and information to help you shape a better future. I am Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Resources and notes from this episode can be found at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.